3: Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Today is kind of a special day because we get to actually step outside of Earth and dive into all things space, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about what the future of space exploration looks like, what we can do when we're tourists in space. Can we be tourists in space? All of these things. And I love this because I love the fact that there are people who are like, Why do we even need space? People who went to the extent of actually creating a show called Space Force to make fun of Space Force when you actually definitely need Space Force. And we're going to talk about that so that people really understand that everything in space actually impacts everything here in your life. And you may think there's no way, but I know that there is not one of you out there listening right now that has not used your phone today. Or GPS, or any of those things that all happen because space is out there. So I wanna make sure you fully understand how space impacts your life. But first, you know, I love to talk to you about your health as well. And you know, you can't put a price on your health. And I like to share with you that I stay energized and do what I love every day because I am able to actually get the maximum servings and nutrition of fruits and vegetables. I rely on balance of nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule to give me the maximum nutrition of 31 31- real whole fruits and veggies every day balance of nature is giving all of our listeners 35% off any first preferred order plus free shipping with promo code tutor so just go to balanceofnature.com and enter that promo code tutor to get started today balance of nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule are powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process keeping the maximum nutrition intact Put your health first the easy way with Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule. Get 35% off your first preferred order shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR at balanceofnature.com. I feel confident about my health because of Balance of Nature. Check out all the testimonials from people just like you on their website and see how Balance of Nature is making a difference in their lives. Go now to balanceofnature.com and get 35% off your first preferred order shipped free with promo code Tutor, And now I get to bring in a friend of mine who knows everything about space, which I'm really excited about. Mary Call is the Director of Operations for the Institute of Space Commerce, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization dedicated to the study of the business and policy of commercial activity in outer space. Mary, thank you so much for joining me.
4: Oh, Tudor. Hello. It's so good to see you and to be here with a friend talking about my favorite subject. Uh, which is space and just to be very clear I am not an expert but I do know a fair bit so I'm so happy to get to talk to you about it today
3: well I I I would assume that there's not really a whole lot of experts out there because isn't it kind of the land unknown? I mean, we are learning every day about space, but I think you know a lot more than me. And I know that you know about how we're trying to expand space exploration and actually get people up there. And I was talking to you about this a few weeks ago. And you were talking about things I had never even thought of with waivers and everything. So explain, is this actually, first of all, we're all going, are we actually ever going to be in space? So how does this work?
4: Well, I think, you know, Tudor, as a young girl, if you ever looked into the sky and you saw the stars or the moon and you just wondered like, oh my gosh, what would it be like to be there? That's the, that's the basic concept that has driven space exploration. Um by governments initially and by our United States government for the past 50 years to look up and get there and, you know, see what we can discover. And so, um, over 50 years, there actually has been a lot of movement. Um, space is, um, commercial space and space systems enrich our lives every single day. Again, like you said, in the intro, if you've used GPS to get anywhere. Today, you've used a space system. If you use your cell phone, um, if you use a computer to to, um, be a guest on the Tudor Dixon podcast, you're using space systems, right? And so it's very important. And um, what we're finding is that just like anything, commercial industry drives innovation. And so space is not just for governments anymore. As a matter of fact, as we move into the next few years, we will see government move inching aside to commercial space actions. And that definitely includes uh, space exploration by civilians. And once you start to put humans in space, especially civilians in space, um, it, it gets pretty dicey because at this point in mm-hmm. time, as you know, I mean, America is a great leader, but America doesn't own space. That space uh, belongs to all earthlings, regardless of their national borders. And, um, Currently, there's about 90 space-faring countries. So, not every single country has space operations, but more and more every year, new space uh, countries are coming online, and that means putting satellites into space and and getting involved in um, data sharing and things like that that are really collaborative with with all Earthlings, right? How do so, satellites like that
3: work? Are they owned by countries? Are they owned by private? companies that can rent them out to countries? I mean, this is all stuff that I don't think a lot of us fully understand.
4: Yeah. So satellites are owned by various different entities. Obviously, there are government satellites. Um, for for folks that don't know anything about space, there are actually three to four levels of space. There's LEO, which stands for low earth orbit. MEO is MID. And geo is a uh, geostational orbit. And that's where a lot of our critical infrastructures are, um, our power grids, our weather, um, satellites, our communication satellites, and then all the secret stuff that's protecting us. Maybe not all the secret stuff, but lots of cool stuff, right? Mm-hmm. LEO is where most of the communication and also imagery satellites live. And those satellites are owned by governments. They're, uh, own their, um, owned by private sector companies. And uh, there's a lot of academia. So small satellites are really, um, the wave of the future. They've been that way for many years now. Um, you might've heard of, uh, space that you might've known. Do you know the sky named Elon Musk? (laughs) Big deal. (laughs) I've heard his name mentioned occasionally. (laughs) So, so Elon Musk, um, and others, um, Amazon has a a satellite network, but there are others who have satellite networks that are um, made of many, many small sats in order to provide communication and um, in some cases imagery um, for the the entire earth. And so the SpaceX satellite constellation is is called Starlink. And currently Starlink has launched just over 5,000 small sats into space. They go up and in low earth orbit, they make a ring. So there'll be a continual ring around the earth providing um, communications and internet and broadband options to rural America, to all countries across the earth. And eventually there will be over, I think it's 12,000 small sats that will be in a continual ring um, providing. That's not the only company. AWS has a company called, or Amazon has a company called Kuiper. Um, there are many other, these are just two examples of commercial satellite providers. Additionally, of course, the USG and other um, larger countries have their own satellites. Sometimes we share information, data sharing, and, um, but there's lots of different people in space right now. And every year it's becoming more and more of a thing.
3: Well, we and we hear the race to space all of the time. And we hear I mean, Donald Trump talked a lot about I I joked about Space Force and the television show. But I think a lot of people made fun of him when he came out with Space Force. And he was saying, this is where everything is. This is the control center. If we don't have control of the control center, you could have the Chinese come in, you could have the Russians come in, and then they shut us down. I mean, I cannot think of a bigger national security disaster than having someone else have control over space, but it's i mean it 's space. How do you ensure that you have power up there, and how do you ensure that our enemies aren 't able to go up there and do something like that
4: well i you know i don 't think you can ensure that, and um, you know one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that space um, is belongs to all earthlings, and that the best way to keep space safe and sustainable is to, uh, you know, operate and, um, and share like the best practices and be in collaboration with all governments. Right now there's going to be some bad actors and hmm. for bad actors, who you cannot trust who have not signed the space outer space treaty or the, any of the other treaties or who aren't even in, um, the UN copious, which is, um, a an organization that focuses on um, basically peaceful uses of outer space and what they've done back in the early 60s. They came together and decided that we would do some treaties. And in recent times, they've basically come together in a Congress and they decide on the best practices. And then all of the countries that are involved agree to these practices. But um, they're there isn't um there isn't anybody that's in charge and so as americans we can be happy for space force because the best defense is a really good offense right and so now you're going to see other countries like japan and and maybe others stand up their own space force op- space force operations and really what that does is just keeps everybody pretty honest um mm-hmm. and then you know for our Space Force. Um, they are protecting our nation's assets and they're protecting the satellites and all of humanitarian efforts that happen for the world at this point. And so, so I think as people... Americans, we should be proud of the Trump administration for bringing SPD 4 into.
3: Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Well, I think a lot of us are sitting here wondering, okay, so if we have people protecting us, if we have this force out there, how do we get there? You, like you said, everybody was looking up in the sky when they were little and like, oh, I could be an astronaut, but this is like beyond astronaut. Now you, now there's the, the opportunity to maybe just travel there on a vacation, which might just look like going up and hanging there for a few minutes and coming down. But there are also some limitations to that right now because no one fully understands the impact on the human body for going up and back, back and forth to space. Is that right?
4: Yes, in a way. I mean, what the new, the new thing to consider is that you don't have to be an astronaut to go to space anymore. Now, the governments, various governments will still train astronauts, they will still back the missions, and they will still um, take care of the astronauts, they'll provide Healthcare screening in advance of the flight, and then for the rest of their lives um, after after their space exploration is finished. What we're seeing now is the opportunity, um, primarily because a couple of billionaires are trying to avoid the rapture. As you know, Tudor, no one can avoid the rapture. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't think space is a safe place from that. But okay,
4: no. okay. Um, but so they're they're putting civilians on these rockets and sending them up either for, you know, a short little zip around the earth or um what we'll see coming on in the next several years, it's not far away, are commercial space stations that will host tourists for that a weekend. That is crazy. Um it could host, you know, um academia doing science experiments. It the um the commercial space station that's coming on in a few years is already talking about not just tourism, but a lot of science and and really like additive manufacturing and and medical research and and all things to figure out how do we sustain life and habitat low Earth orbit, the moon, and then eventually Mars. And so what you and I were talking about the other day was that um at this juncture in history, there is no informed consent for civilian spaceflight because there's not enough health data to to underpin those data sets, right? So as a civilian going into space, there have been fewer than 700 people that have flown to space. So with um, pre-existing conditions or any other health um, comorbidity or any other health issue that you might have, not to mention any handicap or disability, we really need to understand better how your health will handle not just the the space flight because it's it's pretty tricky to get there. You're in a rocket, right. and and then you know going back once the um, commercial space station is on, you'll you'll dock into the space station and then you'll leave the rocket and go into the space station. There's um, an opportunity for you know spacewalks and things like that where you're really going to be exposing your person to elements, you know, radiation and, um, and then all different things that you just aren't thinking about that most people aren't thinking about at NASA. They're definitely thinking about it. And our, um, astronauts are trained and they are healthy. And when they go up, we, there's telemedicine that was, um, is one of probably the biggest gifts from how NASA has enriched our lives here on earth. By learning how to take care of astronauts from Mm -hmm. Earth, right? So this is just one simple example of how space can affect your life here on Earth. But the informed consent is a main thing. Um, If you remember the summer, the Titan implosion, the submarine Mm -hmm. accident. um, What we know for sure is that a regular a regulatory pendulum will swing based on that incident. And it's very important uh, for, for the outer space and for space industry to understand that regulators will regulate, especially when the bad thing happens. So I don't think we know or understand what's coming um, in the flavor of regulation for that kind of tourism, but it will definitely affect um, any kind of tourism to low earth orbit and beyond. And so what does that mean? That means we need to um, share data. We need to collaborate. It's uh, it will be a mix of government, academia, private companies, like the ones who are, are flying uh, tourists into space, and anybody who is is going to space for any length of time that they would be allow their health data to be um, studied, essentially, which is tricky, mm. right? Because these private companies have intellectual property that they're trying to protect, and of course HIPAA laws are are in play here so trying to figure out how do we inform ourselves on the the effects benefits and side effects of traveling to to space
3: so you talk about a civilian space station. how does that work? I mean, what where does that where is that located is that just is out there in space how many people go there what are people thinking of for a civilian space station because in my mind it was always like a place that had a necessary purpose where the astronauts would go do all kinds of studies but this seems like it could be for research but then the average person who has I guess a lot of money and wants to go to space could end up there. And I imagine it's not exactly like the Hilton or the Hyatt.
4: Well, it could be, honestly. I mean, the International Space Station um, went into low Earth orbit. That's where it lives, in low Earth orbit. And it went up in the year 2000. It was only intended to, to fly for 15 years. So we are already well past the, like, Age on the ISS. So that is going to go into commission into decommissioning soon. What you have are companies that are private putting up commercial space stations. And I know of one company that is going to be putting up one in three years. And then they have another two or three commercial space stations in their business pipeline. And there could be others. So what you could see are these um, space stations, which in some cases can be several stories tall. Hmm. And so on each level, how do
3: you even get something like that out there? Do you build it out there?
4: The ISS was assembled in space, but these, um, as far as I know, the one that I know of is going to be, um, launched whole and, and delivered to, to low earth, low earth orbit like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there will be a time in the not too distant future where you could, Take a weekend in space, and there are absolutely hotels. There's absolutely fashion designers and and food experts, and um, a real diversity of talents that are coming together to figure out how to inhabit space, the moon, and eventually Mars.
3: That is wild. I cannot even imagine. I mean, we see television shows and movies where this happens, but I mean, how do you? How would you ever? You would have to take all supplies from earth out there and build a life that seems.
4: Yeah. And that's one of the impediments, right? So that's one of the things that, um, the aforementioned Elon Musk is great because he's working on a, um, a big rocket and, um, he's not afraid to let things blow up. He's a true entrepreneur like him or not. Like he is running test missions, on Starship and you know the one that flew a couple of weeks ago there's one that's going to come before the end of the year so google it definitely watch it you can watch it live it is the most it's the most fun thing to watch um these the SpaceX crew or the people on earth and you know the control room and then watching uh Starship lift off it's two stages um, what happened on the last one is they kind of both blew up and so you see an, an amazing explosion now obviously The reason why this is important is because practice makes perfect. And when we're talking about taking humans to um, the moon or Mars, it really matters, especially if you're from this country where life, you know, matters. And so we will um, always have the mindset of safety and sustainable, you know, safe, peaceful, sustainable um, travel to space. However, humans eat a lot of food and we drink a lot of water. And so the amount of food, if you were going to go to the moon and Mars, you would need, um, per person, something like 800 pounds of food, because it'll take you six months to get there and six months to get back. And then, you know, you'll be up there hanging out with Matt Damon, um, growing herbs <laughs> and whatnot.
3: Yeah. And, uh, but more than that, it takes- I, have they ever done? I mean, they're obviously growing things. Have they ever considered how they would mass produce food up
4: there? There are real people, real scientists working on it all the time. And that's that's the exciting piece. Um, mm. It takes about 500 gallons of water for a two-year period per person. And so water is kind of the biggest problem that we have. The weight alone of transporting the people, the food, the water, the science projects, at this point, it hasn't been sorted out. And there's certain things um, to bring it back to your health. There's something called wobble, which I don't fully understand. I will never, ever um, admit that I understand this completely, but there's something wobble is um, how much the launch vehicle gyrates essentially. And the human body can only handle a certain amount of wobble before like your spleen explodes. So jeez, oh, yeah. that sounds <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it's all fun and games until, <laughs> until your screen spleen explodes. explodes. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. That's bad. That's bad. But you know, <laughs> but this is, this is, um, you know, it's all happening to, to right now it's all being sorted out, uh, with, you know, NASA obviously. And there's, um, there are so many, the one thing I will say about the space community is it's very collaborative. It's not very political Um, it's very diverse and it's been sort of a, a collaboration of the willing, you know, Mm. to work together and to sort this out. It it costs a lot
3: of money to blow up rockets.
4: Yeah, it does. But, um, (laughs) So,
3: I mean, you have to be really wanting to do, this has to be your passion. It's not like you're just doing this to make money. You have to be passionately involved. So I imagine everyone involved is collaborative because it's kind of the nature of scientists.
4: Well, I mean, don't fool yourself. There's always a return on investment. And so the space economy last year alone was something like $400 billion. It is on track to become a trillion dollar industry. and. So, um, the first one up there obviously is going to, um, benefit from being first and, and most space going forward is going to be commercial. It's going to be, um, business to business and, uh, working with governments probably won't be that much fun at all because of regulatory framework, all of the things that you have to do to be in compliance. Um, So the future of space is commercial.
3: Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
2: apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: we've already
4: seen iran sending animals to space is that right you know i can't comment on that i don't really um know but what i mean by what i said earlier about the united states really does keep um, human health and welfare at the forefront of everything we do so um for example, the Artemis mission was originally scheduled for, um, November of 2024. I think that we know that that's been pushed back. And part of the reason is to, to make sure we get it right. Um, I don't know how old you are, but I am old enough to have witnessed the challenger. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. that was a very sad day, um, for the world to experience. And so it's important as America, who are we are leading in in many different ways, but the best thing that we provide is the thought leadership. And so, to to create these opportunities to travel to space, to to inhabit the moon, Um, as you know, Artemis is going to the moon. They're going to send the second man and the first woman, and who knows who else? It's going to get really fun, and we're going to be there. We're going to stay there. And then from there, we'll be able to move, we'll be able to launch to Mars, um, which is, you know, probably more like twenty, forty, twenty. 20, I don't, it's, we've got some time.
3: It's interesting because time. I think our generation, we all saw that. I mean, I was in third grade watching with my teacher and the teacher, you know, they wheeled in the television set because back then you had to wheel in the giant cart and everybody was so excited. and. It was terrifying. You know, as a kid, your teacher starts crying. Everybody is in like, all of us were going, what just happened? What did we just Mm -hmm. see? And Mm -hmm. I think we growing up with that, there's always been this intrigue and fear related to space because we all sat there and saw it. And I think for Mm -hmm. most of us, we were in class. And this was like, because there were teachers on that, Mm -hmm. on that flight. And so it was like a big deal for all of us. And as I listen to what you're saying, I think having gone through that as a kid, I'm like, man, it really seems bizarre to think that would I be able to, if if I'm 20 years from now, one of my girls says, hey, we're going to go spend the weekend in space. Would I be able to let her do that? You know would I, I mean, obviously she's an adult, but there would be a huge part of me that would go, oh, no way you're not getting on that rocket, you know? (laughs)
4: Yeah, I'm from Akron, Ohio. And Krista McAuliffe was a teacher from Firestone High School. And I went to a neighboring school called Coventry High School. And we watched I was in middle school that day. And it was just very, very sad. But the beautiful thing about America and life is that um, innovation moves on and it inspires you. And part of the reason why I got involved um, in all the things that I do um, is because I have a nephew who wants to live on Mars. And I have I have a family member who's going to be, um, going up on one of those billionaire space flights, which, you know, potentially we're going to reroute to like Jupiter or somewhere really fun, just <laughs> send him to deep space. Just joking, <laughs> of course. Um, but no, I mean, in, in all honesty, uh, we want our family members who will be traveling, you know, this is inevitable, but we want it to be as safe as possible. And we want to know and understand, you know, all of the health benefits you never, we just don't know right now. If somebody travels from space, gets on the ISS, what bacteria are they exposed to? What, you know, the radiation, I think we're pretty clear on that. The folks at NASA have got that all sorted out, but um, there's just so many um, unanswered questions. We're only going to learn. ever run them. into other folks out there? I don't think so, but what do I know? I don't know. I... <laughs> Um, I so think you my, don't know if these aliens in Peru are real. You know what I know? <laughs> <laughs> I know that, um, I don't, there's, there are a, a lot of things flying around in space. There's orbital debris, which we haven't even spoken about yet, but it's basically trash flying around in space. Um, and you know, there are drones, there are weird, you know, operations, um, from time to time from. From countries who aren't sharing what they're doing with us, so I don't know. I don't. I don't really believe in. I mean, that's
3: another thing that I'm sitting here thinking. And I'm like, I mean, it's so much different than where we live now. So you go, say you go to the moon, and you see. I mean, we saw the first steps on the moon, and obviously, there's no gravity there, so there's no garbage dumps. There's like, I mean, and you're talking about this massive amount of food and supplies you have to bring up, and then that that all becomes garbage and waste. Where does, does, that all just float? Does human waste just float? Like what happens?
4: I mean, it's a really different
3: thinking yeah, well, about it that way. It's just really different than the, the world that we live in.
4: Yeah. I mean, let's not get into the human waste discussion, but what I can say <laughs> is, you know, one of the things that civilians, um, what we refer to them as civilian spaceflight participant, So these are not astronauts, but they're civilian spaceflight participants. And, you know, they're going to be women. And there are certain things that happen when you're a woman. And so those, um, there will be necessary precautions. There will be things that are in, that you have to really consider um, if you're going to stay in outer space and, you know, in a, in an environment with no gravity, there are, there are health concerns, right? And so those things will be some of the considerations, um, if you have a disability at all, you know, um, if you're hearing impaired, for example, being in outer space, it, it could be very, very different than being here on the ground. Um, mm. If you, um, you know, I. By the way, um, the future of space is commercial, and there are so many commercial operations that are that are creating great technologies, um, training para astronauts. These are folks that. Um, have spinal issues. So being in, in a gravity, um, being in anti-gravity will be really um, an amazing experience for them. And the benefits that we could see from these folks getting their chance to go to space, it's just unlimited um, medical research and figuring out how to help people here on earth, loyal earthlings like ourselves. I mean, I will be, two feet on the ground. You won't see me in any of those contractions. Well,
3: well, I appreciate you coming on and telling us all about this. And when these, as these space stations are being built, we'll have you back to talk about it because that fascinates me. And I, you know, looking at the numbers of there is really, truly a curiosity and it seems like there will be a significant amount of people who will want to be doing this. And as it becomes more commonplace and people and the prices go down, I imagine we'll see a lot of people. So we'll, we'll chat again.
4: Yeah, no. And at that point we'll delve into insurance, insuring people going into space. Cause that's the next big thing. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes, I, and- I imagine. I mean, it, it is, I can see how it's an entire industry and it will be bringing mm-hmm. in massive amounts of money to different industries. It's just interesting to think about how many different industries have to be involved just to get one rocket up there and to have people up there will be pretty incredible.
4: Yep. It's coming. The future's now.
3: Well, Mary Cole, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Jada. I appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast. For this episode and others, go to tutordixonpodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day.